0: Texted and everything this morning. We do want to point out some family business. Uh, Andrew and Lexi Hendricks. Andrew is one of our elders here, and Lexi is, and they're both a community group leaders. Lexi works with our kids. They had their first little baby this week. Uh, they were about three weeks early, but everything is good. They have been dismissed and gone home, or discharged and gone home. Uh, there is a mill train that uh, is already get, getting rolling for them. It's on the website. Is there a bird? Sounds like work. Uh, there's a mill train on the Facebook page. It went out in the weekly email. Um, it'll be disseminated a bunch of different ways. And so that's going to be bad for ADD today. attention <laughs> uh, deficit. This is, this is dangerous. Um, but yeah, so keep an eye out for that. And we also wanted to point out today that we have a newly engaged couple um, in, in Guatemala. We call them Papa Keep. Uh, but it's Kip and Tina. Uh, we have a men's retreat and a ladies' retreat coming up. The ladies' retreat is like a stay retreat, so it's going to be here. Um, right over there is Miss Lisa Anderson. The Andersons are graciously hosting this retreat. It'll be Friday and Saturday night. You get to go home and sleep in your own bed with your ladies. Uh, we are praying for 40 women to be there, um, and they don't have to be within a They don't even have to be churchgoers. So if you know someone that does not know Jesus, not following Jesus, but will be open to coming to this, man, get, get you guys signed up. Uh, if there's no cost to you. There's no limit on numbers, but we're we'll praying for at least 40 and uh, super gracious for them to host and do all of this, but we do need a, a head count by the end of the month. Um, and I think Miss Lisa has been around and talked to several women this morning, but there'll be more information on the table at the back and also in the emails, and so it'll just be a great time to rally around that. Men's Retreat, May 20th through the 22nd. It's gonna be at the lake, it's gonna be on Lake Hartwell. Uh, we've got space for about 22 guys. We've got about nine signed up already, cost us 25 bucks, it'll be Friday through Sunday morning, and on Sunday morning we'll be leaving, going to a joint worship service with Daneen, which we used their facility last week, so we won't be here. But all that information will come in a bit. So keep those on your radar, and somebody shoot this bird quickly. So anyway, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 6. And by the way, if I haven't met you, I do see some faces of people that I don't know. My name is Matthew, um, one of the pastors here, and uh, just glad to be here this morning. Uh, so let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus who makes us worthy uh, to utter your name, to carry your name, uh, and to be known by your name. Thank you, God, for making a people where there was none and creating a family where there was not. Um, and God, just continuing to save, continuing to, uh, to draw people to yourself, continuing to grow your kingdom in your church. God, thank you for a city that is uh, so uh, right and worthy uh, to, for the gospel to go out in. Thank you for a mission that existed before we did. Thank you for a word to guide us and make us look more like the sending church you desire us to be and more like Jesus. I pray that we look at it well today, not adding or taking anything away, and I uh, pray that it's faithful to do what you claim it can to make us look more like Christ. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Uh, still in the series in Mark, we took a break for Palm Sunday, Easter, and then family meeting last week. And uh, just to kind of get you caught up, the last time we were here was the first time Jesus fed the multitude, uh, the first multitude that we see. And it was five, 10, maybe 15,000 people. There was some miraculous stuff that occurred. Jesus was being uh, painted and shown and revealed to be a compassionate shepherd. And as a result, him being a compassionate shepherd, he went ashore, even during an interruption, and he sees need, and he begins to meet need. He begins to heal, he begins to teach, and ultimately he feeds through miraculous manner. Most people never even probably saw the miracle. The disciples did. And because he was a multitasking, compassionate shepherd, Not only was he taking care of the multitude, but he was also taking care of the 12. And as he was taking care of the 12, he was shepherding them, guiding them, discipling them as to what it looks like to uh, actually serve. And one of those key lessons that we talked about was he provides, we distribute. In the sense of the loaves and the fishes, they brought it in, he multiplied, they passed it out. And so we drew some parallels to how God uses us. He gives us the power, he gives us the wisdom, he gives us the dunamis, if you will. He'll give us all of those things if we just take it. Sometimes that rests in our story, sometimes it rests in our failures, our successes, but either way, He gives it to us so that we can carry it around and serve him. And so today, we're right on the tail end of that, I mean, following it perfectly. Um, this particular account's also found in Matthew 14 and John 6. Matthew adds a couple details, John adds some details, uh, they just kind of flesh out the story, we'll reference a few of those. Um, and so let's go ahead and start Mark chapter 6, through 45 through 52. Wrong page. So it says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out in the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified but immediately he spoke to them and said take heart it is I do not be afraid and he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened I, I love the fact that mark very often will describe miracles of Jesus and he won't give like a warning he won't give like a, a preparation note or anything like that he just talks about it like it's completely normal. Oh, no, by the way, the disciples were out, and Jesus just comes out strolling on the water. Like, great story. Matthew adds some other details, some things that occurred there. We're not going to get into those necessarily today, because we want to look at Mark's account. But I love the way that Mark just kind of like, yeah, and Jesus came walking out on the water. Uh, a couple things to note. Um, in this was, there's a, a few little side notes that we could teach on this, uh, really neat. Like, I love the fact that before we even get into the crazy stuff that happens, the chaos that happens, We see Jesus getting away by himself to pray. Like if we wanted a little side sermonette on that today, like I think it's beautiful and it's worth pointing out that even Jesus, the Son of God who was God, God with skin on walked with God, he was and entirely God found reason to get away by himself after craziness just to spend time alone with the Father. Um, I think that's worth pointing out. But what we find is that after the the huge, uh, amazing fiasco, if you will, in a positive manner of feeding the multitude. Uh, Jesus decides that it's a good idea that they get away. And so he puts the disciples in a boat. He's going to stick around and say goodbye to the crowd. Puts them in a boat. A lot of these guys, they were professional sailors. They knew what a boat looked like. And he puts them on the Sea of Galilee. He's like, go to the other side. I'll meet you. And so they do that. He goes and, and dismisses the crowd, says goodbyes, gives some high fives. Probably not, but we're going to say they did. And and then they're in a boat. He's on a mountain praying. And then instead, at one point, he's looking out on the Sea of Galilee, and he sees that they're making headway Painfully. The Sea of Galilee was well below sea level, and some, for some reason, as a result of that, I don't know, not a meteorologist, it was known to be rather rough at times. Storms could just pop up in the middle, of just out of nowhere. And he looks down between 3 to 6 a.m., the fourth watch, and he sees these guys, and they're just, I mean, they're rowing their hearts out, rowing their hearts out. Even if it was 3 a.m., there's a good chance that he didn't put them in the boat at 1 a.m. Okay? They went about 2 to 4 miles. John informs us of that. They had only made it 2 to 4 miles. They weren't quite across. Uh, the widest portion of the Sea of Galilee is about eight miles, but the narrowest portion is probably four to six. So they've been working hard to get across this sea. And Jesus sees them from the mountain, and they're just, man, they're laboring. They're going at it, and they're not quite getting there. And so uh, at around 3 to 6 a.m., somewhere like that, even if they got into the boat at a reasonable hour, let's say that he put them in the boat at 10 p.m. to get across the sea by the time that they could go to sleep. These boys have been paddling maybe for five hours five hours and I don't know if you've ever rode for five hours like I've been on a river in which I'm going with the current for five to twelve hours I've done that that's not so bad you steer every now and then you get away from rocks you know um, if, if you see an eddy you may hang out for a little while catch a few fish but either way like the current does the job but not paddling against the current I know I went out uh, behind Al palms one time in a kayak and we went fishing for trout and uh, sea trout went a lot of fun but we timed it poorly and we were trying to get back to where we were against the incoming tide and i'm on this this kayak that's the size of a manatee it was not an ocean kayak at all and i'm dying like i'm dying and i look at my buddy he's on this nice little skinny kayak super efficient you know good flow and i'm just sitting there and i'm, I'm killing myself and at some point I, his name was andrew i'm like dude i, I got a beach this sucker and i just gotta rest because big boy's about to pass out and so i don't know if you've ever been there these guys were like they were trying hard to get across the sea and they just weren't doing it even Jesus said making headway get painful inch by inch and so he looks out he sees them and the text even says this it says uh, and they saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them and about the fourth watch at night somewhere between 3 a.m. 6 a.m. he came to them walking on the sea and he meant to pass them by. This is one of these translational issues. Very often we get to a place like this in Scripture, and, and we read it, and we're like, oh man, that just sounds really out of place. This meant to pass them by is almost like an idea that we would see in Exodus 33, in which Moses is back on the mountain, uh, speaking to God, interceding for the people of Israel. The stone tablets, the Ten Commandments have already been broken. He's on a mountain. And, and this is when God basically says, look, I'm going to hide you in a cleft of the rock, or behind a few rocks, and my glory is going to pass by you. It's not go around you to get away from you, but it's just like this idea of God coming near. So this was not Jesus intending to circumvent the disciples or get to the other side ahead of them so they didn't notice. But it was more of just the idea of he was going to come near, come near to them. And so he does. He comes near. He walks past them or by them. And it says, but when they saw, them, saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And so on Easter, we talked about this idea, and we didn't even call it this, but this is almost like um, situational hermeneutics, if we'll call it that. Hermeneutics is is reading scripture, trying to figure out why it was written, to whom it was written, for what occasion it was written, what did it mean at the time that it was written. Situational or personal hermeneutics would be like, let's try to figure out what the people at the time were actually feeling or experiencing in this moment. We talked about that at Easter, like the disciples encountering a risen Jesus. Why would they freak out? Well, it was a risen Jesus. It was crazy in this moment. Very often, I think those of us who have had some time in the saddle with scripture and with church we read this and we are like, man, how are the disciples actually scared about this? You silly disciples. Well, let me ask you. If you've ever been on the lake in the middle of the night, like, oh, dark 30, and you saw someone walking to you on the lake, what would you do? Like, would you be like, Hey! Got any worms? No, you wouldn't ask that. You would freak out just like these guys did. Like they saw Jesus walking towards them on the water. And even though they'd seen him do some crazy things, they'd seen him loaves and fishes all over the place. They'd seen all of this stuff. If you see some dude walking out in the middle of the night, imagine that it's foggy. Imagine that the moon is casting just those perfect luminescent rays in the fogginess. And then you imagine somebody walking through the fog. point out, even these disciples who were quite Jewish, blue-collar Jewish, like they were also inundated with, with very Greek ideas at this point, to think, man, it, it, that's a ghost. That's a spirit. I don't know if it's somebody that sunk here, and died here, and they're just kind of hanging out right now, or whatever it may be. Their first thought is not, it's Jesus. It's a ghost. And so they flip out. And they cried out, and for all of them saw, them, saw him and were terrified, verse 50. And it says, but immediately he spoke to them and said, man, you silly guys. It's just me. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. No, he said, hey, don't be afraid. Be of good courage. It's, it's me. It's me. It's just, it's just me. And so it says he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. John even adds to this that as soon as he got into the boat, they miraculously appeared at their destination. They didn't have to row anymore. But then Mark also adds this little caveat at the end. In verse 52, it says, For they did not understand about the loaves, for their hearts were hardened. sounds a lot like two chapters ago, in Mark chapter 4. Do you remember Mark chapter 4? Jesus calling the storm. The disciples, there they're doing the same thing again, except there's a much bigger storm. And Jesus happens to be in the bow of the boat, just kind of asleep, on a cushion. And they wake him up. They're like, do you not care? We're drowning out here. Obviously, they weren't drowning. They were a little melodramatic. And he just kind of stands up, and he just says, shh. Thing stops, and then he points out to them, Where, Where's your faith right now? Where's your faith right now? I'm in with you. What did you think was going to happen? Where's your faith? Jesus doesn't rebuke them here, but Mark takes a moment just to toss it in there. He's like, Man, apparently the disciples, in this moment, because they were so scared, they had already forgotten about the loaves and the fishes, and maybe they just didn't understand. It. They didn't understand. It. Really interesting story. Like in the middle of Mark, like in this part, kind of a, the lat- towards the end of the first half of Mark, we have disciples who at this point, they've seen a lot. They've heard a lot. They have been like in, in the co-pilot chairs for a lot. But in this moment, they forget it all. They forget it all. Could it be fatigue? Maybe. Could it be that they're just in the middle of a crazy place? Maybe, but either way, what we know is that they were just astounded by the chaos, and somehow they missed the miracle of what was going on. And and I think about this, and I know that very often we read these passages about the disciples, and we want to go and say, gosh, how could you be so opaque or just silly right now? But I'll be honest, I would probably be exactly like these dudes right now. Like, I I would. Like, this, I, I would be those guys. Granted, we've got 2,000 years of tradition and history, oral history, written history, that have been invested in us. And so for that, we can say, thank you, Jesus. Even if you're not someone that's grown up in the church, been in the church, that was changed by Jesus at an early age. Like, even if that's not you, you have tradition that's been invested in you. And and you already know. Like, you read this. It doesn't surprise you. But understand, if we were in those boats at that time, just like these guys, knowing what they know, we would have freaked out, too. And probably, most likely, Mark would have reprimanded us, too, by saying our hearts were hardened. They were not open to the miraculous. They were just looking at the chaos. They were just looking at the chaos. I think for us, I I want us to to look at this passage and and kind of ask the question again from an idea of what's going on in this moment, but what does it mean to us now? And I I think there are a couple things. I think the first thing that sticks out to me, and the thing that is worth mentioning, is that from the mountaintop, Jesus saw their struggle. Like, from the mountaintop, Jesus saw their struggle. And I think for a lot of us, I I think whether you know it, or claim it, or title it this way or not, I think very many of us will probably swing to a deism mentality in the way that we think about God. And what I mean by that is, is we kind of view God as the ultimate clockmaker. Like he makes the clock, he makes the watch, he winds it up, and then he just steps back and lets it run. That's, that's called deism in, in super simple terms. And I think whether we admit it or not, many of us believe that that's how God functions. Now, Scripture is very contradicts that blatantly. We're going to see it right here. But I think many of us, it's just kind of a, a quiet place. We would never really admit it. We never really thought about it. But that may be what we believe about God. He's created something, set it running, and then he just steps back and lets it go. Kind of like a box of a derby car. I've already built it. Now I'm just going to put it on the track and see how fast and how far it goes. But in this place, it's an amazing reminder, and we need to hear it. Like those of us who are following Jesus, it's very vital for us to understand this, that, that deism is not congruent with Scripture, number one. God doesn't wind us up and just set us off and say go. No, from this place, we see that Jesus, from the mountain, where he's spending time with the Father, solitary, isolated, to recharge, renew, and just kind of, reclaim the places that he needs to be, uh, from there he sees the struggle of the disciples. And maybe you need to hear that no matter where you are, what your struggle is, whatever the wind is in your face, how hard you're paddling, whatever that looks like, if we are yoked with God through Jesus, blessed with eternity with Him, sealed by the Holy Spirit, Jesus sees your struggle too. And He sees mine. And that is huge. Because that's not a hands-off guy. I don't know if Maybe you've never even heard this, but maybe we need to repeat it to ourselves daily. God cares about your struggle. God cares about the headband. God cares about the tailband. God cares. God cares. Like, he sees them. He takes note. And it's, it's, it's so big just to repeat that to ourselves sometimes. That we follow a Jesus who actually cares. This is not some... Out of reach, out of touch, uh, out of mind, out of heart. Christ, no, oh, this is a Christ who cares, sees our struggle, is intimately aware of our struggle. Like if, if we kind of reference back to Genesis sixteen, really interesting story. And just kind of in my personal quiet time, I'm, I'm in Genesis and Psalm and First, Corinthians right now. And just even last week, I was reading about uh, Hagar and Ishmael, crazy story. Um, not the child of promise that Abraham was wanting. Actually, Ishmael was the, the son of a hired servant because Abraham wanted to rush the promise of God, but God still wanted to take care of Hagar and Ishmael. And at one point, they try to flee. Because Sarah sends them out. She's mad. She's like, how dare you produce a child for my husband and I couldn't? You need to get out. And at one point, they run on two occasions, but in the first time, they run in Genesis chapter 16, and, and God, through an angel, speaks to Hagar, and he says, no, 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 come back. Come back. And in that place, she actually begins to call God, you are a God who sees me. You are a God who sees me. That's the name she gave God. We need to understand that if we are yoked with this Christ, we need to understand that he, and this is, man, this is like modern pop culture language, but he sees me. He sees me. He sees you. And that's huge. Because for all intents and purposes, he should not. Like, we're thinking critically about, like, the holy, holy, holy God, the Trahagian God of all creation, the fact that he's always been sung to, he's always been on the throne, he left it for a little while to come and be made lower than the angels and to walk stooping for 30-some-odd years, and then he went back to where he rightfully should have been for all eternity. There's no reason he should look on me with anything other than disdain. Because I've transgressed every single ink and knot of his law, but instead, he sees you. He sees you. It should be heart-changing, it should be life-altering to know that this God of everything sees me—just one blip on the radar of all history and humanity. He sees me, and he sees you, and he doesn't just see us collectively; he does, but he sees us individually, individually. And for for us, like we want to look at this well, and we want to we want to ask the question: So, is it does it mean that every time he sees me? He, he comes near and he walks by a boat and gets in the boat. Nope. doesn't mean that. But if he sees our struggle, I think we also have to hold on to the belief that he sees our need in that moment. And sometimes the need that we have is that he comes near and we get to see him. I think at this moment when he looked at the disciples and he knew that they were struggling against the wind and they weren't making headway, he knew the best thing for them was just to be reminded that he was there. Very often for us, it's not that he needs us to tow the boat. Very often we just need to be reminded that he's there. He sees our struggle. He knows our need. He's intimately aware. And sometimes in that, he's going to meet the need in the moment. Like there are times where I, I mean, my wife and I, we can look back and we can see that we had a tangible need in the moment and God met it miraculous. Like there were, there were just ways. And, and we've talked about it a lot. Like we were dirt broke when we got married. Doing our best to follow Jesus, but we had nothing. Like nothing. We moved to a city school, we had no jobs, and and the only money we had was the money that people gave us uh, to go on our honeymoon, and we kept some, and that's how we lived for a little while, but somehow, like loads and fishes, there was just enough money for several months, no jobs, don't know how it happened, really, we look back, and we're like, that math doesn't make sense, but it did, and in that moment, in that moment, that was one of those times, Jesus saw our struggle, Jesus saw our need, Jesus met our need in that moment, but there have been other times, saw our struggle, saw our need, and the thing that we needed the most was not immediate provision, but patience. Talk about Mark chapter four when they were in the wind and the rain and the storm was going crazy. Jesus would have been just as gracious, just to say, "I'm not going to do anything. You keep paddling." He would have still been the same gracious Savior. Maybe the need in that moment would have been, "You just got to learn that when you go and get stuff, uh, you trust me and you keep paddling to provide." But in that moment, their immediate need was. Shh. But maybe sometimes your need is, He tells you, to "Keep going." He reminds you that one of the most beautiful words that we see in the book of Psalm, even from David, who's been chased by all people at all times, is steadfast. Or this idea of covenant love. Maybe he maybe just needs to remind you sometimes that your biggest need is just to trust, even when this doesn't make sense, even when this is just hard, just keep happening. Either way, sees the struggle, sees the need, and it's going to provide what we need in that moment. It may be immediate, or it may be delayed. But if we're trusting God that he sees us, we're trusting God that he's good, we're also trusting him to take care of us in whatever way that looks like. For the disciples in this moment, probably the biggest need they had was to be reminded that he was there. That he was there. And I think even for us, like if we go back and even just kind of anecdotally, if we look back at all the times that Jesus met an immediate need, that God just supernaturally met a need, Probably our biggest need at the moment really wasn't that need, but it was just a reminder that God's got Right? Because most of those needs, now, now granted, there have been some life and death crazy needs. Like, there have. Like, you know, I know that more than anybody right now in the past six months. Right? I've lived it. But, but there have been a ton of other needs that, that God has taken care of that we probably would have been okay if he had just let us wait a little bit. But in that moment, the biggest thing we need is just to be reminded I got you. I got you. I see it. I'm here. It's chaotic, but it's under control. So he's a Jesus that sees. I think that the second thing that's beautiful in this, too, is we read 49 through 51. Um, we're just kind of looking at it. He says says, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart it is I. do not be afraid. Not only did he see their struggle and therefore see their need, he still saw their unbelief. Like, I mean, again, like we read this and we're like, well, boys, seriously, you had to know that it was Jesus, right? He didn't, okay? We wouldn't either, but that's what we think saw their struggle, saw their need, but he still saw their unbelief. He still saw their unbelief, and he still came near. He saw their unbelief, and he still came near. I think very often, the thing that we're most afraid to say is just like the one that we'll talk about at some point, just um, the man of, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And that's an honest statement, and that's healthy to say. It's okay to say that God, yes, I, I do believe in you, but, but in this moment, I'll, I'll just be honest, I'm Struggle. It's okay. And believe it or not, before you even utter it, Jesus knew it. Like he knew it. He saw it in the disciples, and that's exactly the reason that he came near. Like he saw it. He knew that when he came near, when he passed by, they were going to flip their mess. He knew it. It's exactly the reason he did. He saw their unbelief. And their biggest need at that moment was their belief being bolstered. They need to remember. It's Jesus who heals. It's Jesus who speaks with authority. this Jesus who multiplies the loads of fishes, even though they don't understand. They need to remember things there. are. Saw their struggle, solve their need, solve their unbelief. And it all his credence to the fact that he said, I'm going to come here. I'm going to show. Up. And I'm going to do it a crazy way. A crazy way. it's peace in completely unexpected ways. And it kind of goes without saying, on any given night, none of the disciples would say, yeah, it's pretty windy and rough out here. Jesus is going to show up at any minute on the water, just kind of walking, flip-flops and all. No one would have expected, like no one would have expected that because they hadn't seen that. Even the things that they had already seen, we see later when Jesus does them again, they didn't expect that either. Like it was still blind, Lord. Jesus brought peace in this moment in a, in a crazy, unexpected way. He comes walking out on the water. And, and it probably, hopefully, if we have time in the saddle of Christ, we can look back and chronicle our lives, and we can look back at the places in which Jesus has calmed a storm going on in our life, or Jesus has fixed a situation that was out of our control, and we can actually look at it and say, that is not at all the way that I thought he was going to I mean, I would ask for a raise of hands. I'm not going to do that, because some people feel awkward. we got a lot of introverts, and that's Okay. Be an introvert, I'm one some days, a force extroversion, and it's exhausting, but that's okay. Most of us, if we just sat there and we really took stock, we would say that is not at all the way that I thought that Jesus was going to fix this. But he did. He did. So number one, I think it, it creates in us this inability to, to guess how God's going to do something, number one. But it should build like all in wonder too. Every time he does provide, every time he does come through. Uh, we should look at it and be like, God, that was pretty awesome. (laughs) That was pretty crazy. I mean, how many times have we really, honestly, because if we get bored with the way that God provides, something's wrong. Okay, something's wrong in me if I get bored with God's permission. Because number one, I start to believe that I deserve it. I don't. Uh, Number two, I've taken my eyes off the fact that sometimes the miraculous happens in the mundane, and and that's wrong. And and at other times, I just, (laughs) I just need to be reminded that God is ridiculously creative and he cares so much about his kids and he's just going to take care of us whatever it takes. Sometimes in a moment, sometimes down the road, sometimes through a lesson, sometimes through a word, sometimes through gracious provision. But either way, the list is long, but it's creative, it's beautiful, and it should inspire wonder. These disciples who have been walking with him for a while, they had, they had seen things. They had seen stuff. He comes out on the water and he does it and he calms the storm Again, it says they were utterly astounded. They weren't bored yet with the provision of God. They weren't bored yet. Here's the warning, though. I think we should expectantly pray for God to end our chaos. Like, I don't think He intends for us to live in chaos, number one. Like, I think He wants to bring peace. That's who he is. He's the prince of of that. He's not the prince of chaos. He's actually the prince of peace. We we talk about that throughout the year. Uh, He he wants to be Lord over that. problem is some of us have created a life of chaos to where we're not leaving room for the peace of Jesus. Like we we have painted ourselves into a corner in which our life is just nuts every single day so therefore we don't even expect God to bring peace because our normal operating temperature is chaos. We're not leaving room for God to quiet the storm because we've created storms. We're living in them every single day. It's not healthy. If we're living in storms every single day, we, we, don't, have, uh, space to uh, we don't have space to worship. We don't have space to reflect. We don't have space to share. We don't have space to do any of those things because we're living in a storm all the time. and We've created now there's a chance that it's a season. Sometimes we have seasons that are crazier than others. Water, I know you're living in a season. Full-time school, full-time job, new season. Again, it's a long, it's a hard. We have seasons. Sometimes we've just created a life that's unsustainable. Jesus wants to give us peace. We have to do our part in that. pursue him and sometimes put chaos to death. Is that, does that click? Can you feel that? I think the, the most tragic thing would be to look back on a long life in which we've claimed Christ as our Savior, but we never claimed peace. That like we get to 75 years old, okay. 75 years old, we retire, and that's the first time we've experienced. That's just weird, too. And if, if that's the case, then you're probably out front your coverage, and you should probably say thank you, God. Wives, too, a couple of you have good husbands. my um, <laughs> so, well, wife's not here, unfortunately, to say, I do, but um, she'll listen to this later, and she can send you a text or something. Um, that's just a joke, but maybe it's not. Maybe just one thing you look back and say, God, you've provided amazing family for me. Married, not Whatever it may be, whatever it looks like, there's blessings in singleness, there's blessings in marriage, there's blessings in both. But either way, take stock and look back at all the places that Jesus has come near. Like, he just, just passed by to show you that he was still there. And then, if we see them, I think we need to stop in that moment. We just need to say, hey, hey God, thank you for that. Thank you for that. And then when we see another we stop. Hey God, thank you for that. That was awesome. Just understanding that him coming near, it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal for the God of everything to come near to me. That's huge. Can't overlook it. Can't overlook it. But the God who always deserved to be on the mountaintop, and we always deserve to stoop well below, he sees me. He sees my stuff. And he chooses to reveal himself to me. chooses to reveal himself to you. I think that in and of itself should lead us to worship, should lead us to serve, should lead us to share. Just, Just that. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you are a God who insists on being near his kids. There's nothing deistic about you that wants to just kind of assess on our path and just watch us succeed, watch us fail, but never interact. God, we thank you that you're a God who loves us exactly how we are, but chooses not to leave us that way. And you come through in the craziest of ways. Thank you for your creative, miraculous uh, intentionality with your kids. Father, I pray that as a people that have been bound to you, instilled with your spirit by grace through faith, that that we take stock of our lives and we can look back and see the places that you have miraculously, generously intervened, provided, spoken, just come near. And Father, our response would just be gratitude. It would be all. And Father, I, I pray you would move us to do two specific things. One, say thank you. But two, be prone to share. Be prone to speak. About the ways that you provide, even in the ways that don't make sense. Maybe especially in the ways that don't make sense. God, thank you for being that kind of God, that kind of Father, um, and allowing us to know you and be known by It's in your Son's name we pray. And all these things we ask. Amen. We want to close with. know what's going on over the next couple of weeks. May is going to be a bit different um, because we did sign a contract that's in kind of in the middle of the year. There were a few days that we can't be here. Last Sunday was one of those. Uh, Two weeks from now will be the 15th, I believe, if I'm doing math right. Uh, Public school could be wrong, but I think it's the 15th. Hey, we got it right there. Awesome. Uh, Community group worship Sunday. And so if you don't have a community group, we're going to post what community groups are going to do. On the Facebook page, or on Instagram, we'll go out the weekly email as soon as we can get them to. So if you don't have a community group, uh, there's a, a variety of different things that people are going to do. Some community groups are probably going to mix and join together. Either way, show up, eat food, short devotional, and just kind of hang out and get to know each other. So that'll be on the 15th. Next Sunday, the Sunday before, is Mother's Day. And one way that we like to serve our moms within the Ordinance is provide high quality professional pictures. <laughs> you know, that's uh safe with great and process. But either way, uh, Sarah, Sarah and Sarah David Bonner, uh, who do this for a living, they're going to take pictures of mothers and their kids. And if you want to bring your husband in on that, you can, but I promise you, they're going to be good. And so we're going to start those at probably 9 o'clock, and uh, you'll have a place to go, and you'll sign up. And we'll email those pictures out to you afterwards uh, when they get done editing and making you look as beautiful as possible, and your kids smile if they don't. Uh, they're not going to edit them that much. But either way, they're going to look great. Uh, but we just want to provide those for you. If you haven't had a picture with your kids and just uh, proof that you're a mom and an awesome mom, uh, we would love to provide those. Sunday, the 22nd, we'll be, we're going to do a joint service with the Neen Church, which is kind of right over here at 11 a.m. So, hey, millennials rejoice. You get to sleep in a little bit longer. Uh, you may not even have to set an alarm, but I would encourage you to. Um, 11 a.m., we're going to join in with them. And we uh, can't be here on that particular day, and so, make note of those and again. They'll go out. And we're also trying to keep the very first page on our website updated with some days that we can't be here. So, or just greenbull.org, you can hop on that and check those out. And then, like I mentioned, the ladies retreat is there. Uh, we have some other stuff on there. Yeah, the women's day retreat. Uh, see Lisa Anderson talk about that. The men's retreat, camp, call. Yeah, so camp uh, is coming up for boys and girls. Uh, Deadline to sign up is June the 1st, and so we'll need the deposit for fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, $50 per head. We are going to do fundraisers in the past. Most families have only had to pay the deposit, and so we're going to labor over that and work to get funds raised so it's not cost prohibitive for anybody. T-shirts, like I said, five bucks a week's T-shirt goes towards that. We've got a couple other things that are going. Um, Same deal with the girls. Rebuild Upstate is going to be—we've got a work day scheduled with them next Saturday. Rebuild Upstate is an organization that we partner with a lot of times. Uh, maybe some of you are following Jesus, and to be honest, you don't feel like using words a whole lot yet in serving people. That's okay. We want you to get there. But in the meantime, you can swing a hammer. And so on this day, will be a great day to swing a hammer. Uh, we're rebuilding some steps for a lady just kind of right, right out of Taylor. so right outside of our circle. Um, but she needs it. And so if you're good with that, even if you're not, that's okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Is that got, yeah, that's got Zach's email on that. You can email that. These are going to be cycling through what I'm doing. Um, and also, we saw some of these come in. One thing that we've been asked to do with one of the schools that we partner with is to provide weekend bags for their students. Um, and basically what those are is that student on Friday can grab that bag, take it home. It's gonna ensure that they have a couple easy meals. It's gonna ensure that they have some entertainment. Um, we were able to sit, like Zach and I were invited this week, pretty interestingly, to a stakeholders meeting for a Legacy K-4. Uh, there were no other churches there, and not bragging on you guys, but I am bragging on you guys. It's amazing that we've been allowed to come in what they're doing for their students, hear what they're doing for their parents, and be thanked by the staff for taking interest and loving them well. And so for them, one of the things they've asked for is these bags. A lot of students, when they go home on the weekends, no one else is there. And so we want to make sure that they have quick, accessible food, things to do and take care of them. Uh, the list is going out, in the weekly email, stuff like that. You can take it to your community group, where you can set it on the info table each week. And so uh, thank you for doing that. Um, I think that is it. Oh yeah, we already said that, congrats to Andrew and Lexi, shoot them a text, shoot them an email, call them, say congrats on your baby, can't wait for me to take them a meal, and I think that's it, we're gonna go with it. let's pray, and uh, we'll get out of here today, and there's plenty of food, so take some donuts some. God we love you, thank you for loving us, thank you for your word, thank you so much for Jesus, and uh, thank you for the fact that, that you do just love us more than we can understand, thank you for a family that you're building, a mission that you're sending us out on in um, a name that is ready for glorification. Um, thank you for making us a part. Uh, we love you dearly. Thank you uh, for loving us back. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great week.